Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Charlotte. I'm Chad. Chad, I wonder if we can talk again about a topic, gosh, we keep touching on, but yeah. interpretation of scripture. And maybe let's go back and look at uh, some figures from the early church and the okay. uh, methods that they devised. I think this is such a fruitful pursuit, particularly as we come out of modernity into something else. Um, mm-hmm. But this idea of you know, a pastor's desk that's then full of commentaries and working on uh, you know from the original languages and those pursuits are fine right mm-hmm. but um yeah. there was at a time sort of this main goal of a historical critical method of getting to the original meaning of a text and for me while i find a lot of those tools useful i find that goal to be somewhat absurd mm-hmm. uh, for a few reasons but let's say philosophically uh if these passages of scripture only have one meaning that's boring <laughs> <laughs> philosophically boring <laughs> i mean it's just uh you know if if this is a body of work that's supposed to reveal this uh eternal god then mm-hmm. it's got to have more than yeah. that to it uh and so certainly the first readers of scripture in the Christian tradition we're not reading that way. And primarily starting from a sort of problem that they had, which was, you know, before the development of the canon, Mm -hmm. these first generations of Christians, the scriptures they had were the Hebrew Bible, period. Right. Right? So the question in mind is, well, what bearing does the uh, story of the Hebrew people have on me, you know, as a Gentile, as a Christ follower, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not evident (laughs) that Christ is present in the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, There aren't explicit references. We take some of this for granted because of how we now use texts from Isaiah and other places. And then this idea as well of what Jesus does and the road to Emmaus and is explaining uh, to these disciples everything about his person and work through what? Through the scriptures, through salvation history. Uh, So that leading the early Christians and then us to re-examine scriptures in light of that Uh, and understanding that the same God who's revealed in the person of Christ is revealed in these Hebrew scripture. And so it is a fruitful pursuit for us to get to know this God, because otherwise, right, uh, stories about the kings of Israel or the Exodus, they're narratives that lay no claim on me or you or anyone. Yeah. So what can we find there and how? So I thought we might start with Origen, who really is among the first of the interpreters to to deal really specifically with this issue and Mm -hmm. bringing 
a set of methods and tools really over from the classical tradition. So um, Origins and Alexandria, kind of rough dates of 185 to 254. And so the depths of, let's say, these classical Greek texts were studied uh, for their elegance and artistry and whatnot, but also Mm. to teach moral lessons, uh, to form people in some way. So this is, okay. We've got this new body of work to study now. Uh, Can we use some of these same tools? So he's going to start with just a plain examination of the scriptures uh, and a close examination of the biblical languages. And so he creates this uh, collection of texts where he's got side-by-side columns of the uh, Hebrew Bible in Hebrew, a translation transliteration of Hebrew into Greek, mm-hmm. and then four Greek translations of the text. I really want to raise this up too, because those of you who don't know biblical languages or don't know them well, you can just take translations side by side, side, by side. and do something similar to this, which is to right. look at, oh, these two words or this sentence is translated very, very differently. What bearing does that have on the text? What bearing does it have on meaning? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's kind of like little flags being raised going, something's important here. Uh, something matters here. So he's looking at those six parallel columns and the different texts and then weighing the significance of the variations. Uh, but then finally, you know, if this belief is that the divine address in scripture uh, was adapted to the human condition, scripture contains both bodily and spiritual meanings. Mm-hmm. So saying that these there are layers of meaning within scripture, the literal meaning might have something to it. It's also often flawed either historically or it's nonsense in some way, or it's filled with grammatical error. So one has to go somewhere a little bit deeper to find something that's actually going to nourish people in the faith and find a spiritual meaning there. And those depths can continue to be plumbed, um, that there may not be an end to that. Uh, But he also thought that those depths of meaning, the meanings that actually pertain to Christ within scripture, Uh uh, were accessible to believers, even those new in the faith, but that those who were just coming with scholarly tools were likely not going to be able to perceive those. Yeah. I mean, uh, two things come to mind. You touched on you know, this idea that the God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament are the same God. And he comments on that because origins come into the scriptures with a, a specific conception of God, mm, that God yeah, is, yeah. is good. And he says that the God of the law, that is the God of the Old Testament, and the God of the Gospels is one and the same, a just and good God. And that he confers benefits justly. He punishes with kindness, since neither goodness without justice nor justice without goodness 
can display the real dignity of the divine nature. Mm. <clears throat> and so when he talks about uh, interpreting, specifically the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, he says, you know, look for the mystical meaning, as he put it, or the spiritual meaning, um, because God conceals meanings in the scriptures. And the idea is that, you know, we toil with it and search until we find, as he puts it, a meaning worthy of God. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think one thing he's just assuming is that not every first face reading is worthy of God. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty important. And I, I can certainly see that because there are passages in the Old Testament that are just horrendous. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, you and I often talk about, you know, having interpretive keys. And I think for origin, one of those was that God is good and just. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's important. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. So there are, yeah, as you say, interpretive keys or boundaries to this mm -hmm. work, even when we're dealing in, you know, allegory or uh, that not just everything is of equal weight, but those interpretations that maintain i think the dignity of god the goodness of god are the mm. ones that are to be received then right yeah. yeah the next of our early christian thinkers that i wanted to bring up is john cashin uh cashin is we're, we're now in the mid fourth century early fifth century so um he's a, a monk in the south southern france he's uh studied in jerusalem with uh some other burgeoning monastic communities there and has gone out into the desert to talk to uh, folks living alone aesthetic practices uh, out there and has learned from them and is coming back to bring uh, this information and really is creating one of the first uh, rules of monastic life, but compiling these teachings from the desert. And in this book of those teachings uh, called The Conferences, there's a section in which he talks about interpretation of scripture. And he's understanding that sort of the goal of interpretation, the really the goal of the Christian life, is rightly ordered loves, um, mm. is to serve your neighbor, serve God, and this mm -hmm. acquisition of self-knowledge. Um, is this active uh, means by which we do that. Um, Cassian argued one must recognize and remedy within oneself the disorder and deceit that um, distort our relationship to God, to one another, and even to self. The lies mm -hmm. that we tell ourselves even about ourselves, yeah. right? Um, and so that a heart that is his language, twisted by things like greed, anger, the passions, pride, despair, uh, has faces barriers to knowing God because, well, God is none of those things, right? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and so the efforts in this active life, this aesthetic pursuit would be um, to purify that heart, to then make possible contemplative life, the mm -hmm. contemplation of scripture, the contemplation of God, things that are impossible or darn near impossible mm -hmm. if you're burdened uh, with these other disorders. Um, but it doesn't mean that scripture uh, isn't to be pursued until one's heart is rightly ordered because whoo, <laughs> then we'd never pick up that book. <laughs> Right. Never, never crack it open. <laughs> um, but he's saying, you know, you've got to, these two things help one another, right? Yeah. So efforts to purify the heart through aesthetic practices, through service, uh, humility, etc., then are going to start opening up scripture to you and the contemplation of God. And then the wisdom that one then is gleaning there, what do you do with that? You're taking that back into your aesthetic practices, into uh, the work, so to speak, that you're doing in ordering your heart, in pursuing perfection, something like perfection in this world. Uh, and so as this these two things fuel each other, then one's gaining both a deeper understanding of self, of neighbor, of God, and of scripture. So that every time you're returning back even to the same text, you're taking that knowledge, the new perspective you have, what you've gained in contemplation in back into scripture, and you're seeing new and richer and deeper meanings all of the time. Nice. That's very organic. They work together. It's a process. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it gives the implication or maybe it's explicit that scriptures are multivalent that there's layers and layers of meaning and that we can dig and find those but mm -hmm. it's also intimately related to how i'm seeking christ or uh, seeking to follow christ and so on i like that yeah so he's also going to say like you didn't understand scripture at all if you didn't try to apply it to yourself right, in yeah. some way um, that what's the point of some kind of just academic pursuit? He's going to say the, and so the literal meaning of texts probably has some usefulness. Um, but then uh, there's going to be something deeper as you come back to it. I think he uses the example of like, do not commit adultery, right? So, okay, I can do that. I got it. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you're coming back and you're learning more about scripture, reading more the fullness of scripture and thinking more about how uh, that metaphor of adultery gets expanded through scripture of mm -hmm. talking about idols and um, other ways in which we're not faithful to Christ or the church, mm -hmm. um, ways in which we aren't faithful, good to one another, too. Uh, and so every time you're coming, you're coming to see something. I think this is really useful or interesting to me because it affirms my experience of scripture. Uh -huh. Every time I pick it up, even if I'm still on the, just the lectionary and it's the same text every three years, I see something new. I experience right. something new. I don't think I'm doing all of this um, 
part about refining the disorder of my heart nearly as well <laughs> as Cassian is. I don't think it's necessarily because of that. I'm trying some things, yeah. but um, but that there's just always something different there, something else that strikes you, something that somebody says in a conversation with Jesus, something that Jesus says, some, you know, new questions even mm-hmm. that arise, um, new points to explore there. So true. And of course, oh, one other uh, point probably to bring up around Cassian is he uses the example of Mary and Martha and maybe uh-huh. one of the first or first well-known to do such, to really use that to illustrate his point about this active and contemplative life and the literature, excuse me, literal and spiritual meanings of scripture. So Mm. Martha is occupied with serving the Lord and those around uh, him. Um, And Mary has this direction toward spiritual teachings. Um, so both are focused on Christ right in different ways right through yeah. through service scripture uses similar language to describe Martha and her work as a deacon really that she's mm-hmm. serving in this capacity um whereas Mary is thinking about the spiritual teachings but how both of those then Martha in action and Mary in contemplation are necessary are are making then a full um, body to examples of how to uh, serve in that way. We serve Christ like Martha so that like Mary, Uh we can contemplate and then go back, trade off again. Yeah. Wonderful. And then finally, probably the most influential particularly to our our tradition is augustine um so really um, a contemporary of cassian um so um bishop of hippo regis in north africa and he's sharing with everybody there's by the way there's no dispute around the idea that scripture has multiple meanings and multiple no. layers of meaning uh, that seems to be absolutely a given. And I think it has to be from the get-go because of, otherwise you, you will not find Christ in, let's say, <laughs> the Hebrew right, Bible, yeah. right? Yeah. And Jesus is showing us really how to do that interpretive work, um, you know, in that Emmaus Road passage. And the other mm-hmm. way that he, other ways in which he uses the Hebrew Bible throughout his ministry yep. there too. But uh, his interpretive practice rests on two principles, uh, the law of love and the rule of faith. So first he takes um, attention to Jesus's answer that love for God, love for one's whole being and love for neighbor as self, as Jesus says, on those two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So he's saying, so everything has to be that. Everything has to lift up love of God, love of neighbor, bolster love of self. If it's not, you're on the wrong track. Try again. Which is 
also an extraordinary claim because that will make so much of scripture not literal. <laughs> yeah. Or useless. <laughs> you're going to have to, yeah, you're going to have to go to a place of allegory to be able to mm-hmm. do that with a lot of scripture. Um, but he's saying that uh, that double love of God and of neighbor is the meaning of scripture in its entirety and in all of its parts. Yeah. Wow. He's- <laughs> He says, so if it seems to you that you have understood the divine scriptures or any part of them in such a way that by this understanding, you do not build up this twin love of God and neighbor, then you have not understood them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Now, loving neighbor for Augustine principally means bringing them to Christ in some way. Um. And so there is a bit of a challenge there in which um, my understanding of applying that might be different from some other folks who think that bringing people to Christ means clobbering them, you know, and the kind of hellfire and damnation and thing. I don't, that's not how I would use this same tool. Um, But, you know, really exciting also to say, through that is I could come up with an interpretation of a passage where let's say my exegesis wasn't good. It wasn't great. Um, There's a flaw. There's a logical leap. Um, I've even maybe mistranslated part of the text, something like that. But that if I'm coming end up in a place that's uplifting love of God and or Mm -hmm. love of neighbor, It'll preach. It's all good. Yeah. That's right. Because this is, you've ended up at the same place. You just took a bad route. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of grace there for preachers and teachers, too. I mean, you don't yeah. want to do that. You want to have a good, sound argument that still gets to that mm-hmm. same place. But if you're ending uh, at the goal, okay. Success. Yeah, yeah, success. <laughs> but I hear some really, really bad, or I shouldn't say bad, interpretations, particularly around the parables that like I do not agree with at all, uh, that I think initially make God to be some kind first of all, they're generally preached as like analogies, but often will begin in a place of making God into some kind of monster. And I get really worried and really uptight while I'm listening to these sermons. And then they'll end up with, you know, God's free grace and gift of love for you is, you know, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, well, okay, I'll accept that at the <laughs> end there. Yeah. I didn't like anything that happened before that, <laughs> but then you got to, God loves you and God's going to work it out and God wants good things for you and, you know, and these kinds of messages and I'll forgive what happened before that so but the sound interpretations require not just this double law of love but a little something else too which is the rule of faith so at this time um and say that's roughly equivalent to what's in the apostles creed the nicene creed um just real simple kind of acclamations of who god is 
Um, and both origin, as you say, explicitly uh, are relying on a kind of rule of faith on you know who God mm-hmm. is on pro- uh, protecting God's dignity, God's goodness through this work of interpretation. And Cassian does too. Um, but Augustine's kind of formulizing uh, some of this, which he can do as well as the the faith is becoming more formalized through these creedal statements. Um, but that means, you know, if you're coming also to a place where, um, well, like you say, God's goodness or love is in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is being portrayed as a creature or Christ is a creature and not divine, you know, these kinds of things that um, we want to step back from those interpretations and try again. Yeah. Other Augustine thoughts? Yeah. That one thing he says, the first time I read it, I was astounded, but he says kind of in the same area on, on his writing on teaching Christianity, he says, And so people supported by faith, hope, and charity, and retaining a firm grip on them, have no need of the scriptures except for instructing others. And so there are many who live by these three, even in the desert, without books. I mean, it's a reminder to me that the faith is not correct interpretation or correct belief so much as it is a way of life. Mm, yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah that is and, an ex- uh, an extraordinary claim particularly in the face of protestantism <laughs> and yeah. this idea of i mean not only is salvation tied to knowledge of god in some mm-hmm. way but also which, which is is found in augustine as well but that that knowledge of god doesn't mean a particular knowledge of scripture a detailed knowledge of the stories of scripture but like you say that um hope love charity being able to live into that that there yeah when there i first were... read that i was like what augustine you're crazy but it makes sense are there pieces of this what we've talked about that you use in your work preparing lessons or sermons or just your personal study of scripture well certainly i try to use the the law of love you know definitely try to um is is this is what i'm saying here going to hurt who's it going to harm kind of thing Mm -hmm. Um, but you know the thing about that impresses me most and has really kind of changed the way I think about the scriptures is this idea that you see in the early church that if I come that in coming to the scriptures, I can encounter the risen Christ, the Mm. person Mm -hmm. um, versus an idea that I learn about Jesus in scriptures, which is certainly true, obviously, but I encounter the risen living Christ in them. And once I, approach them with that mindset that seems to open up, you know, and I, going back to kind of how you started out the podcast talking about, at least with the way we were trained in the historical critical method, um, 
those methods are very helpful, knowing the language and context and, you know, source criticism, all of that's helpful. But I want, I want to encounter the scriptures uh, uh, to know Christ. Right. And so it's really been, and, and of course, it's only in lighter years that I've, this has really hit home for me. But that's one thing about early interpreters that really, um, I think, has had the biggest effect on me. This idea that I can encounter Christ in studying the scriptures, you know, prayerfully and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I think all three of these thinkers, I think, would look at the historical critical method and say, okay, that's fine, mm-hmm. but it's not enough. It's lacking yeah. something and it's lacking faith seeking understanding. Ultimately, I yeah. mean, because it's really a set of tools you can apply to any text, ancient, modern, etc. Yeah. Um, but that we're coming with different questions as people of faith of what claim those texts or Christ within those texts have on us. Um, do you ever find yourself in a bind where you can see multiple routes to take with a text and not sure which way you want to go? Yeah, I think so. Like you were saying earlier, my experience is there are so many layers, depths of meaning. Um, I'm not as free in my interpretation as they were. I mean, I th- mm. sometimes I feel like they were like, you know, this speaks about Christ in this way. And I'm like, how has this been interpreted in the past? I'm still kind of tied to, you know, look how have others interpreted it and stuff. And I don't know. I don't know how free I want to be, but there's a certain freedom to early interpreters that I, I still don't have, you know. I'm not just going to make it say anything yet, (laughs) but you know. Do you think you'll ever evolve spiritually to where you don't need scripture anymore? I'm not going to say that for myself. (laughs) Um, No, I wouldn't either. I think that's, I just want to bring back to how extraordinary that claim claim is. is. Yeah. I'm now sure he's also been. assuming, I think, with others that scripture is memorized. I mean, mm-hmm. that people aren't may not have books, but they know Psalms and they know the stories uh, much better than we do, to be yeah. really honest. You also were learning the scripture to be able to carry it in your heart and to contemplate it and to meditate on it. Mm-hmm. Um which allows you then to do it all the time <laughs> rather than setting aside these special times with a special book, which is useful and good, you know, Bible studies, yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, I'm, I'm in the shower, I'm taking a walk, I'm driving. I'm, I can think mm-hmm. about this language um, because I'm carrying it with me in a way. I, I think many of our, uh, I shouldn't say ours. I think many Christians are are unable to do currently because we're kind of back in a place, I think, of relying on preachers and teachers to tell us the meaning of text mm. rather than 
the assumption here also with all three of these thinkers is that anybody of faith seeking understanding can pick up this book and learn something and Mm -hmm. find some meaning in it without the tools of biblical language without historical context without anything else just a simple what is god saying to me where is christ here in this passage Mm 